on today's expose, I wanted to highlight for some reason Archangel, who oh. was introduced September 1963 in X-Men number one. He's been a favorite character of mine for years. Not the favorite, Iceman's the favorite. But I attribute Archangel to these episodes we're talking about today. Like this really opened my eyes to him. A pivotal player for sure. Yes. <laughs> I go where I want to go. Gene. Scott. Gene. Welcome to this week's Solving for X. My name is Sean, the ultimate X-Men fan. Oh, this is an opportunity for me to explain the new introduction title I'm giving myself. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, let me explain it first. So I'm something of a... I'm spoiling it. Okay, no, I'm, I'm kind of a Spider-Man person, a Spider-Man fan, right? And I don't consider myself an X-Men expert, but I know things... <laughs> so I'm going to say I'm something of an X fan myself. <laughs> well, I, love that. <laughs> I love that you have made that known right now. Yeah. <laughs> Doing my Norman Osborne, you know, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we have a third voice with us. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm such a stan of your podcast and, and your other podcast, your charm podcast, and of both of you. But you guys know this. I like, I'm always like stalking you guys. Oh, we love yeah. you. Yeah. And I'm always stalking you on Power of X-Men. And you post so much. I'm so jealous of how good you are at posting. <laughs> oh, that's very kind. It's just, you know, I do it in between like running to the subway, in between Zoom calls. I also stay up late at night thinking about what I want to put out there. So a lot of it is done, you know, beforehand and I just have to hit post. But yeah, like the days there are some reveals and stuff like that. I'm like glued to my phone like that. I don't have life. <laughs> Um, I know there's officially supposed to be three of us, but I did invite a guest in. I hope that's okay (gasps) that I I came to this episode that you graciously invited me to with a plus one. Oh, I'm I'm so scared and nervous and excited. (laughs) I'm going to let them in right now. I'm letting them in. I'm letting them in. I'm letting them in. Wow. (laughs) Oh, love it. Love oh it. Oh my God. If only I knew how to work this. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Oh my Hello. God. Hi. Um, <laughs> Hi, guys. How are you? Good. This is so great. Hi, Sean. Hi, Kevin. Hi, we're it's so, so great to, to talk you. to you. Oh my God. Oh my God. No. <laughs> Paul Paul asked me to do this, and I was like, they're going to think it's the Leewalds. They're going to think it's something amazing. I'm going to be the biggest disappointment. Why am I doing this? Why? Well, Hammy and I started talking, and you had listened to our episode at Power of X-Men with Kevin. 
And it was such a wonderful episode because that was the first time Kevin and I actually got to know each yeah. other. And and you have such an infectious, wonderful energy. And we recorded like seven hours that day. It was a we long did, time. We did your we did the charm podcast, and then when we did my X-Men podcast. Yeah, I know. Like, I mean, it's like, no. Girl. but we had so much fun and you were such a wonderful i mean i just love your energy and everything well thank you Uh, i'm just that's what it was (laughs) i like listened to that podcast and i was like i have to message this man right now on instagram and i saw that we had messages like there was messages there and i was like oh my god this is amazing we're obviously going to be great friends because we yeah i'm just yay um but i'm pretty thrilled to talk about the cure because low-key I'm one of the few people who likes X3, so the cure really speaks to me. So, well, should we get started? <laughs> yes, right. you, tell, you tell us. <laughs> All right. So, first off, on our previously on segment, we got a few votes. It looks like Colossus is the fan favorite of the 1975 X team. That's who he beat I out Nightcrawler for. by one vote. Ooh. <laughs> oh, I like that. I mean, that's not surprising at all. Colossus is, I mean, come on. <laughs> that outfit. Yeah. I actually kind of thought Storm would take it. I was surprised. Oh, yeah. Storm or Cyclops, I would have thought, would have gotten that. No? The oh. thirst is real. The thirst the thirst outweighed the actual <laughs> skills and talent. Okay, wait, but Cybar, right. speaking of thirst, you just posted a Cyclops cosplay. <laughs> that looks so good. That's, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I put in none of the, the photo looks good, not because of me, but because of the photographer and the editor. But I'll take the credit for right now anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pass it on later. <laughs> So also, uh, the day before we're recording this, I'm sure you heard the news, but Joe Casada, he's leaving Marvel. I've been, oh. I've been so upset about this. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what Tell to us. be more upset about, like the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial outcome or Joe Casada leaving. <laughs> can, can we edit that part out? Can we just get rid of that part real quick? <laughs> It's just been such an insane day. Um, you know, Joe Casada. when I went to interview at Marvel back in 2006 for an internship in their custom publishing division, which I got, I came out of my cat. I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, my face tells no lies. <laughs> How do you, can we turn off your camera? How do we turn off Amy's camera? <laughs> Much better episode now. <laughs> It, um, I got, I was so nervous. I was wearing like this boxy suit from like express my husband. Well, he was my boyfriend at the time was like walking me to like the office. We were really nervous. And Joe Casada was on the corner getting a bagel from some random like vendor there. And I went up to him and like, I tapped him like that. I was like, Mr. Casada, I'm interviewing at Marvel right now. And he went like this to me, like patted my arm. And he was here like, you're going to be great. And it was the nicest (laughs) thing ever. And I was like, thank you. I really hate it. One more day, you ruined Spider-Man. I didn't say that, obviously. (laughs) But I'm personally very sad. I'm personally very sad. How do you all feel? I mean, I'm very sad about it. 
I actually met one guy who just hated Joe Casada. He just was like, anything that he did in his 22 years, I hate. And I'm like, why? He did so much. He brought like all the heroes together into shared universe. He did Civil War. He did House of M. Like he was amazing for Marvel. Yeah. Well, I think it's shown that a lot of his stories have had longevity, especially like One More Day, which was hated amongst fans when it happened. I, I don't seem to hate it anymore, but a lot of the, like the counter arguments I've seen about Joe Casada leaving and people were happy about it, cite one more day and everything with Spider-Man. But he also instituted a dead means dead rule at the time, which sort of gave levity to deaths <clears throat> at the time. I'm thinking of like extreme X-Men Psylocke when she died. And, you know, I think he he was a really good public facing person. I think he really did invest in creators. He obviously really cared about the talent and the stories. Honestly, though, since the Disney Fox merger these last few years and with sort of the rise of Kevin Feige, I couldn't really tell you what a chief creative officer does or what his day-to-day responsibilities were, or if he still had his cup of Joe panels at, com- <laughs> at cons, but I'm sad to see him go definitely think it's a loss to marvel but i'm i'm pretty excited to see what he's going to do in an independent way like the man's got a lot of power the man's created and watched over a lot of incredible things so what does he do when he's just free to do whatever he wants to do (laughs) good point yeah we shall see did it specify what he was going to be doing afterwards i didn't i didn't read the press release or anything or i didn't see any (laughs) tweets or anything yeah, he just said something very vague, like he has big things ahead, but he didn't say what yet. Look forward to it. I can't tell you, but it's coming. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> a, a sidebar, I have a print that he did for one of the X-Men anniversaries, and it's like Gina's in the center, and it's all of the, the X-Men, and it's a lithograph. And I've been thinking about it for such a long time because I've been framing my lithographs from the early 2000s. These are the uh, Salvador La Roca prints. And when I went back home to Miami for a gig, I dug out this specific print that I wanted. And all my other stuff that I had in this poster tube were intact. I have a Sarah Jessica Parker Gap poster, like when she did that campaign in early 2000 (laughs) with the Lenny Kravitz song, like that is intact. And the one poster that wasn't was this Joe Casada lithograph. The rubber band around it had melted into the actual print. I just, I took it to the framers last week. They have been able to salvage 95% of it. And so we're moving forward with framing it. So I think it's very telling that he's resigning or he's leaving this week. I think it's a big cosmic, cosmic (laughs) show. Right. You foresaw it. I foresaw it. It's all your fault. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Fuck you. She is sassy to All right, let's get into these episodes. So this first one, The Cure, aired February 20th, 1993, written by Mark Edward Edens, who we've seen as a big player in this X-Men animated series world. Cable slowly walks towards a cabin in the woods. Inside, hunky hair, man, Warren Worthington III and his date discuss Gottfried Adler a mad scientist who stays at the mansion sometimes. Warren explains that he sent Adler to Scotland for a bit to do research. Research. 
this is like the we're in the mountains we got the fire it's like let's get it on you know it's very <laughs> it's the moodiness okay oh but yeah. his date you know who that is no i don't know who that who is, is it? i mean the va is Catherine disher i'm sorry like no the character oh, itself yeah. is very insignificant but that's Catherine disher's voice aka jean gray oh <laughs> i oh, noticed God. that it sounds just like her but with an why accent. must you always push me away <laughs> Fun. i used to say that all the time as a kid <laughs> the accent is so raw i don't i don't i i just like it's some sort of eastern european i think like does she i assume they're in switzerland yeah racistly no because that. they're in a chalet and i assume it's a swiss chalet um but i don't know what that accent is <laughs> i have no idea where that accent is or where they met i'm kind of curious like how they met and she's like in his cabin i'm like okay i mean listen it's worthy worthington warren worthington i yeah absolutely like fireplace everything and even if he took off his shirt and he had wings i'd be like i'm still here for it <laughs> She doesn't know he's a mutant, but how do you hide that in sexy time? Like, that's why he brought her there. Yeah, you're right. How is he? Like, he didn't really think this plan through. No. He's like, you have to go. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's going too far. <laughs> he just, he was just there for like makeouts. He was like one of those guys who's like, I just want to cuddle. It's just cuddling, nothing more. And mm. she was like, oh, I know what that means. And he was like, no, seriously, just cuddling. Don't touch me. Get away from me. <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't look in my backpack. Don't take off my jacket. Oh my god, it's yeah. fine. Also, you might find my gun, I guess, but that's later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not happy to see you. It's actually just my gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I I love that Cable is there as well. I at this point in the series and we know this and and I'm sorry, Hammy, you have to hear me complain about this so much. We interviewed Lawrence Bain over on Power of X-Men, but we are prohibited from airing the interview because there is an embargo on all the voice acting talent right now because as they're preparing for X-Men 97. But he was telling us that when he first got the role of Cable in the season one, they were cagey about the fact if he was a mutant or not. So I think in this episode in particular, it's we, we see Cable with his gun. He's sort of this like no man, this wild man of Borneo, as I think they said in Slave Island. So I really love seeing him here. He has like kind of like nefarious purposes, but he is an advocate for mutant cause because he's obviously coming to Warren because Warren is funding the research for Dr. Adler. Which they did a good job of setting up in the first like part of season one. They always hint towards the future, which I loved. Yeah, well, they, the Leewalds were such really good, like, architects for this world. And I know season one, they've talked about it ad nauseum at panels, on, on all their interviews, and in their books. But it was very much kind of, like, stitched together in, like, a really quick way. And I think it's just, it's flawless. I mean, they are writers first. I and mean, that's what they prioritize. They were always like, we're going to make sure that the foundation of the series is good writing before we want to like sell toys or, you know, character driven. Yeah. Very character, very plot driven. And even thinking about this opening scene, like cable is going after the person who is funding research to cure mutants. Like that is like a deep thing that like, 
you, you're not writing down to kids, you're writing up to kids. And it's just, it's a different level of evil that I think it's, it's just very important to render. Mm-hmm. Downstairs, Cable sneaks through the cabin searching for something. The doorknob turns and Warren enters. Cable gets the jump on Warren, but Warren jumps back with a gun. He fires on Cable. Cable sneak attacks Warren and shoots him out a window. Bam, Warren go down in the snow. He lets loose his wings. <laughs> okay, the way you read that was absolutely incredible. I love yeah. that yeah. very much. Yeah. <laughs> we had the scream. Bam, Warren go down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we say that a lot on Charms. Yeah. <laughs> Bam, bitch goes down. Bam, Sydney, super bitch. <laughs> Um, this scene is the best in the whole episode. Cable bursting out of a bookshelf. Like, he literally, <laughs> just one arm comes out of a bookshelf. Just one. It's it's like the only, if I was to like own one cell from all of like one original cell from this entire animated series, it would be Cable's face peeking out through a book, <laughs> like a bookshelf with books beside it. Like it's insane it's insane how was he hiding behind a bookshelf it was against the wall it makes no sense i love this scene more than anything i didn't like think about that until now you're right how's he hiding behind a bookcase that's like flushed up against the wall it makes no sense i'd love to know i'd love to know Okay, but like the books in this bookcase, it's I, it, does it say DNA and it's like volumes one through nine? Like, okay, sure. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, but Cable's face, I just paused it at Cable's face, like looking at Warren, like hot. Like <laughs> that is hot. That's like a men.com porn getting ready. Oh my god. Wow. Sorry, I'm so obscene. Never get ready to add the E for explicit to this podcast. <laughs> oh yeah. Jesus. Where you that's what we're used to actually. You know, okay, yeah. perfect. <laughs> All right. Paul's gonna like this. You already queued into it, but I'm gonna read it anyway. Warren's date, who's definitely not voiced by Catherine Disher with an accent, comes running in to check on him. <laughs> Cable jump gets the jump on her. Does he ever just say hi? Warren's date reveals that Adler has gone to Scotland, near Island, to be more precise. Warren comes flying in, ready to fight. Cable shoots at him. Cable throws a flash grenade, blinding both occupants and scrams. Warren's lady friend mistakenly shoots him and Warren flies off. <laughs> yeah i don't know what to make of like i get it like she was blinded i don't she clearly did not intend to shoot him but she shoots him and then he just flies away and i'm like you just left a random person in your mansion wherever it is and he looks so sad as he's <laughs> flying away like he's clearly injured poor daddy yeah <laughs> she was pulling a velma lost her glasses that's what she was doing <laughs> Oh, <laughs> where are my glasses? My glasses. Listen, it wasn't going to work out. Introduction. Unless this character's name is secretly Betsy Braddock in someone else's body, I'm just not buying this romance. This romance was doomed. She, she, he didn't dodge the bullet because he got blasted, but she's dodging it. Like just, just go. Also, it should be noted, Cable. Every line Cable says is gold. Like I don't. Whoever wrote this, uh, you said who wrote the episode, right? Uh, yeah, Mark Edward Edens. Okay, just just a genius. Like when he was like, the next time you try to shoot me, next time you try to shoot someone, make sure you hit them. 
And then Warren tries to shoot him again and he misses again. And he's like, you don't listen very well or something like that. Yeah. It's just like, so good. It was so good. But Sean, Cable said, get down in this time. It wasn't, it wasn't Scott, it was Cable. So, oh, that's right. Like father, like son. Oh, <laughs> we're keeping sure. a tally of how many times Cyclops says get down, but he hasn't said it in the like the no. last few episodes. No. <laughs> I have sure a lot of feels about Cyclops, by the way, in these two episodes, but we'll get to it as we get there. I'm excited. <laughs> I guess I have to do a reading now, don't I? Yes, you do. Welcome to Michael Ham doesn't know how to read. Um, <laughs> Oh, but she can read the room. <laughs> Second. Oh, she's putting on her glasses. Yes. Ooh. At Muir Island, Moira McTaggart shows Playboy Professor X around the island. She hopes to introduce him to Professor Adler. When Adler doesn't want to let him in, Xavier uses a side sweep of the facility. He gets a vision of a sexy blue woman with a super goth skull belt and <laughs> Oscar Isaac, but in a better outfit. <laughs> I mean, seriously, though, that's exactly the look we needed in X-Men Apocalypse. Yeah, why do I mean, I would have it? killed to see Mystique in her look as well, to be yeah. fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what the fuck, Jennifer Lawrence? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was her fault. You don't think it was her fault? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I know she didn't want to be blue at a certain point, which I was like, come on. She's like, I'm yeah. done. I'm over this. She's like, I'm done. I'm, I'm Jennifer Lawrence. I do think it's funny how many times Professor X meets up with like a past fling in the show or even in the comics. So yeah, he's definitely a playboy. So I don't know what to think about Moira now, because obviously with everything that's happened in the house of X, so like every appearance of her, I'm just like, Hmm, like she's up to no good. I wonder if they're going to pick up the, the Hawksbox thread in X-Men 97 when the show comes back next year. Yeah. And I wonder if this scene and a lot of this stuff is going to play out. But so Xavier is aware of Dr. Adler's, what he's doing, his research and everything. I wonder if that's the reason why he decides to probe his mind. Because Xavier usually has like this huge moral code where I'm not going to enter someone's mind without their consent. And here he just does it right there without like thinking twice about it. Right. It's very invasive. I think... This is an important reason. I mean, Xavier is kind of trash, but like, I feel like this is <laughs> this man's trying to basically destroy all mutants and doesn't want to be talked to and doesn't want to be seen. And I, I don't know, Xavier's done some sketchy things, but I think this is one where I'll give him a yeah. little bit of leeway. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I think this is, uh, if he's going to read someone's mind, this is a pretty important one to read. And maybe you can, the argument can be made he sensed it wasn't, Adler he sensed it was someone like Apocalypse because we know Apocalypse can like shut him out like that yeah something doesn't feel right Hmm. (laughs) also Moira calls it a cure which this is this is actually kind of like a big scene because I feel like Moira calls it a cure and Xavier's like it's not a cure there's nothing to cure that's not the right word and Moira's like all right (laughs) Professor X is like, we are not. This is not it. You are not it tonight, honey. Very Mrs. Doubtfire. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, (laughs) thank you. You're absolutely right. Like, and 
it's in that scene where where Moira is like, do you think he, or I'm sorry, they're talking about, you could Adler himself be a mutant and that's why he would be after cure. And he's like, don't say cure. It's being a mutant isn't a disease. And that is such a wonderful, like the symbolism there is just beautiful. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I just think that's a really beautiful thing to, to give kids growing up to understand that symbolism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Professor X wakes up in bed. He suspects that Adler may be a mutant himself, which is why he is seeking a cure. Moira asks Xavier what the X-Men think of the cure. He admits he hasn't told them yet, but it's time he did. <laughs> so, guys, <laughs> I know, like, the mansion is trashed right now. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go to Muir Island, where they may or may not have found a cure for our very species. Bye! Oh, Xavier. <laughs> such a jerk. And by the way, the X-Men here are like 26 years old. It's not like they're 16-year-olds and you're like, oh, let me not get, <laughs> let me not ruffle any feathers or get these hormonal teens like angry about something. Like these are 26-year-olds. Like they can handle the truth. Like, and also like, would his research not have been published in some kind of journal? Would there not have been some built up to 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 this? Like he would have gotten some press. Like, cover of time magazine at least <laughs> that's true yeah <laughs> back at the manor the x-men are busy at work rebuilding which would be really confusing if we were going by air date since it wouldn't have been destroyed yet <laughs> we see each of the x-men through wolverine's eyes gene subtly tells him that she's too smart for him i can put these nails in myself i don't need your help he tells Storm to add water to the mortal mortar, and she dramatically does. Gabbit lights a brick, and it almost splodes on Wolverine. Cyclops comes to the rescue. Rogue confronts Wolvie and calls him a fathead. <laughs> Enter Jubilee to the rescue. The professor wants to talk to them. Mm. That's even better, like, that you just put the context that these are 26-year-olds, and she calls him a fathead. <laughs> he just does Fat hat, <laughs> I mean, I said much worse when I was 26, to yeah. be very clear. And I wasn't rebuilding my house, so they win in life. Yeah, and they even they even referenced that Juggernaut is the one who destroyed the they mansion. Did. So, yeah, that would be very confusing. Yeah. <laughs> they also, on Disney+, Plus, some of these episodes are out of order because I think they're doing their air date. Mm-hmm. And the Lee Waltz have talked about that because it was an animation thing and a production thing. And I think it's right on the DVDs. It was right somewhere else. Was it on Netflix at one point? I don't remember. But it is curious that Disney Plus has not organized them in the way they should be aired from a story perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Even with the DVDs, they didn't put them in story date, though. So you still get like No Mutant is an Island in season five when it should be in season three. But those are the best of the orders. And it doesn't make sense. You're like, how did Gene come back? Like, where, yeah. did, where did that plot happen? But yep. I really, this scene, it was one of the, the scenes I really do love of the episode. Um, it just shows them working, you know, as more of a family. And I think that's something that the X-Men, I think, separates them from, like, the Avengers, the Eternals, Inhumans, the Justice League. I mean, the X-Men, at the end of the day, are a school, and they have familial ties with these people and it's not always perfect sometimes they're going to disagree they're going to get yeah they're going to have a fight wolverine may try to one-up someone gambit may be trying to troll him but 
it's there. And I love that. I love those dynamics. Mm-hmm. I read that whole scene. It's just incredibly horny, but that's just how I read <laughs> most scenes. Wait, who is so he horny for, for everyone? Everyone, everyone. He, <laughs> he cuts the wood and then he's like, yes. oh, Hey Gina, I love working with my, I love working with my hands. And she's like, I prefer my mind. And then he like goes up to Gambit and oh, what is he? He's like, Gambit says you better watch your mouth or one of them oh, says yeah. you better watch my mouth and the other one says you're gonna have to watch more than just my mouth. It was gonna be and, very sexy, you're right. Yeah, it was it was all very <laughs> subtextual. <laughs> but you called them a family and now I feel uncomfortable. So I'm gonna stop talking. <laughs> no. I, listen, there's a porn for that too. <laughs> That's right. I'm still going to rewatch this scene with a bottle of lube next to me. I'm going to, you know. <laughs> no, Sean, no. I really do. But no, like, I I, I like your interpretation of that. I, I Wolverine does have that, like, big dick energy wanting to, like, boss everyone around. And there are some, like, undercurrents of sexual tension. At the very least, it's there for, for him and Gene. But him and Gambit, like, yeah, I agree with that. And Gambit's just so sexy. Yeah. And canonically, says is sexy. Doesn't I think matter he's supposed he to be. He's supposed to be bisexual. Canonically, I, I don't think it's ever been confirmed. I think that was omitted. But I think the the idea was from a historical perspective. Gambit is bi. I still flashbacks to that speedo. So there you go. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh that speedo. Oh the speedo. Oh. All right. Inside the war room, the professor discusses the cure. Wolverine gets mad at the idea of turning human. Rogue seems pensive. The professor tells the team to really give it a think if they want to abandon their powers or not. He won't judge. (laughs) Oh, how sweet. Good, good. Yeah. What a nice man. I think it's it was a really interesting scene. Like you would think he would have prepped them a little bit for this more, especially like I know it's really hard. You're in a room with someone who controlled the weather, who can read minds. But I think Cyclops and Rogue in particular. I mean, that is a very viable option. Like, Rogue cannot touch another human being. That is a very tough aspect of her powers. And when Wolverine's like, you have no traitors in this room, that's a little unfair to Rogue. But I think what they did so well was they they showed what really drives Rogue as a character when she looks at Scott and Jean holding hands. And they didn't have to say anything. The audience just understood why she would want to have that cure. It's just masterful storytelling agreed yeah okay i get to read this scene which is great because this is my favorite as rogue gets in the car to leave gene explains to scott how rogue feels not being able to be touched by anyone as rogue starts the car gambit jumps in with her rogue gets mad and literally throws him out gambit jumps the wall and stylishly jumps into the moving vehicle rogue gets mad again and stops the car She flies off and hitches a ride on an airplane wing. This is actually what gave inspiration to the Twilight Zone episode. Rogue jumps off the wing once she has arrived at Muir Island. Sean's got jokes, you know. (laughs) I love that they added that, though. And the guy on the plane even looks like William Shatner. It was a very nice little... (laughs) (laughs) What's out there? I like when the woman at the the, the flight attendant's like, like the most stereotypical, I'm like, hand over the mouth, pointing at him like, you idiot. I mean, but her lipstick is everything. So I guess she can shade anyone. 
But like, yeah, I mean, I was just like, why is she laughing at him? Your passenger is probably having like a mental breakdown, like alert the pilot. <laughs> it's also weird that in a world full of mutants, like it would be weird that somebody would be sitting on an airplane wing. Like that's completely out of the question here. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Especially since like you have mutants attacking like the Eiffel Tower in the next episode. You have Magneto and like Sentinels that like, oh, there's a person sitting on the wing of the plane. They wouldn't be like, oh yeah, duh, maybe it's a mutant. Did anyone else notice how Scott and Jean were like randomly sitting outside in an unfinished room? And I got flashbacks of having roommates and like trying to hide a relationship or like trying to get alone time. And just finding those weird places to sit with them. <laughs> it's really cute. I I I don't know. I, one the, the one thing I got from that scene with them was that they really lean into the idea that Jean has like empathy powers, which I kind of I kind of like, and I think that's something you have to accept for Jean in the series. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, she's more like of a mind reader. But to that point, though, Sean, like. I like that she is sitting down with the team and with Cyclops and talking about the team and sort of, you know, breaking them down. I think it was very, you know, it was touching. Yeah. Every, every strong man has a strong woman behind him. She's that strong woman. I was just wondering where Rogue put the book. She like put it in her pocket, but I don't think the book would fit in that jacket. <laughs> but but if you look in the scene as she's flying down, the book the pocket the book is still there behind her. I okay. don't know what happens. Is it like, once is it like she on her back? Yeah, like look at it. Like it's on her okay. belt. Like they actually drew it. But when she lands, it's gone. That's it. It's gone. It's it's <laughs> okay. never coming back. <laughs> I also love the idea that she can just get on a plane, sit on like the wing, and just be able to identify Muir Island based off of like an a illustration. Because <laughs> yeah. like I mean, I've flown over like places before i'm like i would have no idea what state or where in the world i would be i was thinking about that too she found just the right plane to go over mere island and she recognized it so she's good that's her other power (laughs) she had to call up the airport or however you booked (laughs) flights in like the 90s (laughs) and figure out the flight it was also a cute moment with rogue and uh gambit i feel like it's worth saying like it is him him her, she was obviously annoyed, but like he was willing to do everything he could to be like, don't go or I'll go with you or we can do this together. And she, you know, sure he's a little pervy, he kept being like, let's kiss, let's whatever. But you know, he was, it was nice when he was, she said something, I can't remember. She said something along the lines of like, if I do this, you'll end up in, the, in a coma. And he was just like, well, maybe that's worth, worth it. it. Yeah. And I thought that was a really cool little like, Ride or die. Like, good for yeah. him. Mm-hmm. Good He's for in him. it. <laughs> yeah. It was sweet. In a pub, Pyro and Avalanche are bored on your island. They're talking about their leader, Mystique, forcing them to come here while she pulls a scam. Meanwhile, Rogue flies in. We learn that Mystique is a shapeshifter, so she could be anyone. Pyro confronts Rogue and shows off his powers. Avalanche comes over next, and Rogue punches him through the wall. He lands in the water just in time to see Cable approaching. Avalanche calls out to Pyro, but he already gone, leaving just his hole. <laughs> Sorry, that's okay. That's... So, yeah, for your people at home, Sean is feeding us these scenes in our Zoom chat. 
So Hammy and I are like reading this off for the first time. And like Avalanche calls out to Pyro, but he he is already gone, leaving just his hole. <laughs> Which he had the a hole phrasing, in the, the phrasing though. <laughs> and here we are worried about making these sex jokes, and you literally baked it into the language here. And by the I way, mean, it's not it's two holes. There are two holes there, okay? He has two holes? There are two holes there because one yeah. was for Avalanche and I guess the other one is Pyro's <laughs> as well. Obviously Pyro, or excuse me, Avalanche has a bigger hole. I mean, the, the show itself feeds us to us, you know, penetrate the recesses of his mind. Like, come on. <laughs> Fair. So, Fair enough. We just amplify what's already there. <laughs> yeah. I have to ask, they say Mystique is like pulling a scam I guess we'll get more into Mystique in a little bit, but what a bad scam. Like, what is she trying to do? She's enslaved by Apocalypse, basically. Yeah. And it's also interesting because we find out later on that Pyro does have a history with Mystique in a rogue's tale. But I guess, like, the way they sort of wrote that off for why Rogue also doesn't recognize her later on is because she had on a different form. So Pyro's worked with Mystique before. I think he's just assuming this is some kind of scam and they're like old business associates. And so she's trying to keep it all in the family. It's how I'm sort of inferring this scene decades after watching this episode. (laughs) Pyro is also hot as fuck, though. I love his eyebrows. Okay. And then he talks. There you go. And then he talks. Limey talks. That's what he calls him, right? Cut to Rogue approaching Adler's facility. She pages Adler. When he tells her to kick rocks, Rogue breaks down the door. She sees Adler and tells him she would give anything to be normal. Adler tells Rogue he'll consider it. He tells her to come back in an hour. Adler pushes Rogue out and closes the door. Apocalypse is standing behind it. Much like Cable did earlier in the episode, Adler immediately shifts into Mystique. Apocalypse demands that they use the machine to enslave Rogue. Oh. Is is Adler Einstein? Because he's like Einstein. (laughs) He looks like him, yeah. He does look like Einstein. (laughs) So it's interesting at this point. It's 1993. Mystique is really big in the 80s. She's leading the Freedom Force. She's always kind of her own woman. So it is an interesting thing that they made her like answer to apocalypse because she's never really answered to somebody in the comics yeah and I, I i just can't help but wonder were they just like let's lump these two blue looking characters together because it kind of makes sense because they don't really even have a relationship in the comics like this where she's sort of an agent for apocalypse but i thought it was i, I have to tell you i think this is like one of like the 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 most heartfelt scenes because mystique is like you heard what she wanted and like that's mystique's maternal you know gene kicking in there i mean of Mm -hmm. course she threw baby nightcrawler off a cliff so we won't go there but (laughs) yeah (laughs) and he's like yeah (laughs) i voted for colossus so i don't care (laughs) (laughs) you heard the other one (laughs) wow savage (laughs) 
<laughs> so uh, somebody also wrote into us, and I've been kind of saving this for this episode because it's such a mystique mm-hmm. episode, but we were asked to talk about the fact that Destiny's not in the show, where I know everybody on this chat probably knows Destiny, but just for our listeners, Destiny was Mystique's girlfriend in the comics. So very queer. And also I'll just go on a little rant real quick and then I'll open the floor, but it's always bothered me to no end that they couldn't find Nightcrawler's dad. And it was written originally by Chris Claremont that Mystique had shifted into a man and impregnated Destiny which I think is very romantic, but of course it's got the queer connotations. But then in the 2000s, we, rather than have two queer ladies like make love and make a child, they made the devil, the literal devil, <laughs> Nightcrawler's dad. So I'm like, what does that say about society? Yeah, I'm, I, I mean, no, we're right there with you because even it, even going past that, they would rather have Nightcrawler conceived by Azazel as opposed to Mystique shape-shifting does have that connotation, but also like, like Mystique who was married to Irene at the time had an affair with the devil. You know what I mean? Like, and I get it. It's the X-Men. They're incestuous. Every, every character is fucking every character. I mean, Mystique once shape-shifted into a student and had sexual gambit, you know, like during yeah. Chuck Austin's <laughs> run or Peter Milligan's run, excuse me, Peter Milligan's run. So I don't know, you know, at the time, I think it was pretty obvious. We've been covering Legion Quest over at Power of X-Men. There is no mistaking that Mystique and Irene are a couple. I mean, the subtext is right there. I mean, she's here like, how could you kill her? She meant everything to me. I lived for her. She was my best friend. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's, it, it's right there. The only thing I can say is that maybe it just wasn't as obvious to readers as it was now, you know, Legion quest. I, I don't know where, how it adds up with the, uh, where, when this story aired, but I don't know. I, I am more upset about Irene being in X-Men evolution and them not really leaning into that relationship. When at that point in the early 2000s, it was very obvious yeah. of what was going on with Mystique and Irene and the relationship. <laughs> I don't know uh, enough, really. I just kind of, I feel like, what, I, I don't know enough. And that's the end of that sentence for me. Yeah, I don't know everything about this. I know they had a relationship. I know they like raised rope together. Um, and isn't, so is Mystique posing you choosing the name because of Irene, because that's her last name, or is, was he like relation to her at all? Oh, I didn't oh, think, I about, think that about that because now. yeah, because he's she's God. using the name she's using the name Adler probably as a way to honor Destiny, you know? Okay, look, look right there. I like that. There, there you go. It's her. Maybe Irene is dead at this point because she was dead in the comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so this is her way. No, because. Dr. Gottfried Adler was a real person, a real person before. Yeah, she said she killed him. But I'm like, but isn't that interesting? Maybe, maybe it was <laughs> maybe, she, maybe she targeted him on purpose because of his name. Or it was like <laughs> Irene's like ex or like relative or something yeah. like that. <laughs> but I also- just enjoy that Hammy is shaming us for not realizing that Adler was the last name when he didn't even know it to begin with. So I don't feel bad. Listen, hold on. Hold on a minute. One second. Let me put the glasses back on. (laughs) I know of Destiny. 
um, and I know of Azazel. I just didn't know what the like was there retconning that happened. Oh yeah, because I always assumed. Okay, so I I thought it was just always like I knew Destiny and Mystique were a thing. I knew that they grew up together. I I know from Legion Quest and all that, but. I just assumed Nightcrawler was always supposed to be from Azazel because he looked like the devil. Was that? Yeah. It was all retconned. You know, oh, the okay. stories were all retconned. And Azazel came in, oh God, I, I want to say like early 2000s and stuff like that. And so he was designed specifically. Yeah. He was designed specifically to look like Nightcrawler to, you know, to carry on that story. Oh, that's bullshit. Okay. Yeah. Never mind. Such bullshit. Yeah. Oh, so wow. it's a retcon that happened after the fact so it's not even like an early 90s something you know what i mean you can blame it mm-hmm. on very toxic you know male perspective cisgender male like perspective it was it was after the fact that has been known that irene and mystique were a couple and that was chris's intent for nightcrawler yeah rogue sits by the ocean meditating we get a flashback of her strolling with cody and wearing the same headband her mutant powers manifest and she sucks Cody, but not that way, perv. She absorbs his essence and then he falls unconscious. I gotta say, though, the audacity of Cody to not even say her name. He's like, you ever been kissed, girl? I'm like, really? <laughs> That's, That's not gonna make me want to kiss you. <laughs> okay, but I quote this line every single day of my life. I'm beginning to think I never will be. The way you go on about the moon. <laughs> Like there's nothing worse line. than a boner kill that you're trying to get laid and like the guy's just talking about the moon and you're like, great, bitch, thanks. I get it. You're not interested in me. <laughs> but I think, you know, Cody is a really interesting character. He comes back to it to play in the Rogue miniseries where he does eventually die. And he does come back in the series as well. So it's a character that has longevity. But fun fact, though, he's not called Cody in X1. It's, I'm forgetting the character's name, but let's say Kenny, but it's not Cody. And I was always angry that that boy was not named Cody. Well, we can't, we can't know Rogue's name. When, what are those, the Fleer cards you were talking about? What, what year was that? 94. So her name. So we still didn't know her name. No, we didn't get her name until, I want to say it was a Rogue mini series or just regular series in the early 2000s where they call her Anna Marie. And that's where we get her her name revealed for the first time in the early 2000s. But in the 90s, her name was listed as unrevealed. And I was so <laughs> confused by that, like as a kid, like I'm just a dumb Florida boy. And I was like, unrevealed? Is that her name? You know, I just. <laughs> so French. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> She's <laughs> i'm like is that on her birth certificate i remember asking my dad about it and it's like my poor dumb gay son he's here like at least you're pretty for a couple of years <laughs> okay as rogue leaves below pyro is a looking is looking for avalanche a wave comes up and suddenly cable is standing there does a man ever just say hi pyro calls cable darling and then attacks him with flames Cable gets mad at being called Darling and shoots back. As Cable climbs up the cliffside, Avalanche pulls Pyro out of the water. Pyro plans on abducting Atler since he's in such high demand. Isn't it ironic? Don't you think? (laughs) 
Incredible. What an incredible write-up. I mean, who is writing your lines? God bless. Can we bring them to Power of X-Men? What do you pay? (laughs) (laughs) So is this just me or like, isn't Cable's eye thing usually yellow? Why is it red in this episode? Is that a specific reason? Hang on. I'm trying. I'm, I'm, I'm looking. I... I don't know why it's red in the specific episode. The only thing I'm trying to think when his eyes started flaring up, I can't remember if it was after they mentioned he was a mutant, but yeah. Or if it was just a production choice, I appreciate that detail, like attention to detail (laughs) because I've asked Larry Houston, why Gene's eyes were blue for the entire series, but in the dark Phoenix saga, they were green. And and he said that was, that was on purpose. So and I you wonder know what in the charmed books they always say Prue's eyes are blue, but they're actually green. So I don't we talked about this. I know we talked mm. about this. <laughs> Amy, are you a charm stand? I've never asked that about you. No, I own all the DVDs and I've never watched any of them. Okay, we're oh. doing a movie night. We have to do oh. a movie night. <laughs> I know, time. isn't it why I just own them all, but I've never <laughs> partaken. <laughs> I you know, I, I love how Lawrence Bain says, don't call me darling and all that <laughs> stuff. I, I think the scene is just really well done. The only thing that I want to comment on here is that, like, it's so weird to me that we have an episode with Rogue, Mystique, Apocalypse, Avalanche, Cable, and Pyro, and they're all interacting. I just, like, I love this show so much. Yeah, and I heard the Luwalds talk about how Cable is very Clint Eastwood, like old Western inspired. And now that I'm rewatching, I'm like, totally. He's he's a cowboy. <laughs> oh, he's so a cowboy. He's a mercenary. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just on a steel horse I ride. Come <laughs> <laughs> on, <it. laughs> that's what you got out of that. <laughs> Says the man who quoted Alanis Morissette at the end of his, his write-up. Okay, okay. Touché. <laughs> The only note I have for this whole scene is Cable says, don't call me darling, and I died. So I have nothing to contribute. (laughs) Back at Adler's facility, Adler is prepping Rogue for the treatment. An earthquake shakes the facility. It's Avalanche and Pyro attacking. They literally bag Adler and run off with him. (laughs) Cable sees the fracas and takes off after them as Rogue frees herself from the rubble and flies after them. Professor X and Moira come running, well, running in floaty wheelchairing, along in their nighties to check on the explosion. (laughs) I love how you just said that. Is it getting hot in here? That French accent. (laughs) Breakout rooms. (laughs) I do love how this episode like becomes basically a comedy of errors. Like Pyro's trying to kidnap his boss without knowing it's her. And then like the way that each of them kind of chain reactions off of each other and they're all just chasing each other. It, for some reason, made me think of Rocky Horror Picture Show in that scene where it's like, Janet, Dr. Scott, Janet, Brad, Rocky. (laughs) Amy knows what's up. I totally, I, I a hundred percent agree with you too. Like this whole episode just feels like it, some sort of like British comedy or something like everything just seems to go wrong. No one has done anything right. Everything is so farcical in a way, but somehow the episode is still incredibly serious and <laughs> important. I, yeah. 
I love it when Mystique is like, and you're a full pyro. Like, I just like the way the actress delivered those lines. I don't know Mystique's VA, but combined with when they pull like the the, the sack off of her and her hair just kind of comes down. It was beautiful. It's such yes. an iconic scene. Look at me in my yellow eyes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> also, the sack had holes in it, I think. Oh, I, I'm so glad you said that. I was like, well, that is such a tattered sack. Like, how do you know these two are evil and dumb and irresponsible? Like, give them a tattered sack right there <laughs> to capture their boss. I like, th- I thought they were breathing holes, and I was like, are they that dumb? Did they think the burlap <laughs> needed breathing holes? <laughs> But you know what? Also, like, it, it's so funny because in this episode, they are very dumb. But in the comics, Avalanche is actually a really smart and capable character. And in one of the issues of Legion Quest we read on the podcast, he was able to take down Strong Guy and Havoc. I mean, like, that's a low bar with Havoc and, <laughs> and Strong Guy. Okay. <laughs> I know, I went there. We're Team Cyclops here. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Pyro and Avalanche are making their getaway with Adler, still in a bag. They come to a stop. Avalanche asks Pyro to carry Adler. Pyro takes off the bag to find that Adler is a she. She's Mystique. Mystique yes. admits that she made up Adler to get close to Apocalypse. Mystique turns back into Adler just as Rogue shows up. Adler makes his escape as Rogue battles Avalanche and Pyro. But things don't look great for Adler as he runs into Cable. <laughs> so I like this whole kind of undertone that they don't they never really say it, but Mystique killed Adler, right? Is that what we all got out of this? Oh yeah. yeah. Dr. Adler is already dead. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty hard coming from you. Oh my god. <laughs> That is of sexual undertones. <laughs> yeah. Adler was the one who made the collars for Genosha, right? Yes. Is that the whole. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah. And that's why Cable is going after him as well. I mean, there's just, I love the continuity. I mean, the Leewalds wanted to tell a story that was interconnected, especially in season one. It, it sort of shifts in season two from network direction. But yeah. here they were like, they wanted to tell an overarching story, which was very uncommon for kids TV back in the day. Well, you guys, I listened to your episode on Slave Island, too, and you guys said Mystique made a cameo in that episode, right? Yes. But yeah. she, did she, I don't, did she say anything? Like, did she, or was it just like a cameo? She just walked around. That's all she was and doing. Then, she had a few lines, but yeah, it is kind of weird that she is on Slave Island and then now she's over on Muir Island, like working with, yeah. Was she a plant? <laughs> Was she like, I'm just investigating, I'm spying. Oh. She's not she a plant, she's a person. <laughs> oh my God, no, that's it. See you guys later. That's it, that's it for me. <laughs> I've gotten into dad joke territory. <laughs> Wait, yeah, she but was I in Slave Island? I'm sorry. I to- oh, she's in the prison cells. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Now I'm remembering. I think she was there to find and kill Adler. Mm-hmm. And then two days, two days later, she's in Scotland, I guess. Who knows? There you go. Tuesday. All makes sense now. Oh, North Star. I'm going to that episode. North Star, Feral, Blob. They're all in those cells. Aww. We already talked about this, Paul. That was the last episode. Get over it. Sorry. I'm sorry. On. I'm an episode late. 
<laughs> Back at the exploded lab, Professor X and Moira are trying to figure out what happened. The professor realizes Adler's been kidnapped. Suddenly, Jean and Scott walk in. They followed Rogue here. They think she came here wanting to take the cure. Xavier's worried that something more sinister, lowercase s, is afoot. <laughs> yes. I'm glad that, I mean, listen, Gene and Scott have said this already, like with, we'll see this in season two. With the professor gone, they have to step up and they're sort of like mom and dad of the X-Men and they're concerned for, for their team. They're concerned for Rogue and I'm glad they got it. I really am glad. Yeah, me too. nothing left to say about that (laughs) their appearance felt a bit abrupt but they're the x-men they're always just we we only have 22 minutes it had to be abrupt yeah it wasn't as abrupt i don't know if you remember this but in between slave island and the juggernaut episode Wolverine is just suddenly on the Blackbird. He didn't participate in the battle <laughs> at all. He's just there. <laughs> chilling. Yeah. He's just there. At least. <laughs> Meanwhile, Rogue is battling it out with Pyro and Avalanche and Winnie. She incapacitates them and continues the hunt for Adler. Dr. Adler! <laughs> Dr. Adler! <laughs> but I love Lenore Zan's acting, like voice acting. She's so though. good. She's so perfect. I mean, she she in so in so many of these scenes is hitting the right emotional notes Mm -hmm. there. You know, she's vulnerable, she's tough. We don't, I don't think we mentioned it, but that scene with Mystique where she's here, like, I don't want to know what it's like to live my entire life not touching another human being. I mean, talk about boiling down a character in just a moment. And her voice acting for that was just incredible. Yeah. It was. And then the and animation with the tears in her eyes and stuff, like, oh, oh my God, I feel <laughs> yeah. for you. But <laughs> Paul mentioned this earlier, but how ridiculous are Pyro and Avalanche? Like, they can't do anything right. They've been thrown through a wall into the water. They've, they're being... <laughs> they can't do anything. Also, they should be dead. <laughs> Literally dead. Avalanche gets thrown through, a, like, a brick wall down a hundred-foot cliff, like... I mean, maybe Avalanche is strong, but Pyro should be dead, dead ass dead. That yeah. little British boy could not survive getting thrown through. His neck would be broken. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, hitting the water that hard from from the from literally going through a wall and then falling off a cliff like boyfriend's dead right yeah. there. I mean, they're yeah. so worried about Jean when she falls off the cliff. <laughs> And of all the characters that could survive falling off a cliff, it should be Jean because she could just telekinetically lift herself up or create a shield. But yeah, I'm getting ahead of ourselves. I'm sorry. The crazy Jean stand in me is coming out right now. (laughs) Cable has Dr. Adler dead to rights on the edge of a cliff. Cable is here to get revenge on Adler for creating the Genosian power dampening collars. Enter Rogue. She engages Cable in battle, but Cable easily takes Rogue out. Dr. Adler says he's already dead and changes into Mystique. We talked about this, we're so good. (laughs) Just then the the Blackbird appears. Mystique changes back to Adler. Gene and Scott to the rescue. They engage in battle with Cable. Scott blasts him off a cliff. A rock Cable shot explodes and throws Gene over the cliff as well. Rogue catches her. 
Cyclops thanks Rogue for using the power she has that didn't get, she didn't get rid of to save Jean. Rogue cries. <laughs> oh. Aww. Aww. <laughs> yeah, I mean Cyclops is shooting to kill in this episode. Oh my gosh. In the next one. I mean, boyfriend is not fucking around. No. And this is before Jean fell off the cliff. But uh, another example that they're being cagey about if Cable is a mutant or not, he's not using any powers. He won't use powers until later on. Here he's just using his own weaponry. True. And one thing in this scene and in the rest of the show that they really get right is the action is so good. Like when I watch the live action movies, especially Apocalypse, <laughs> the end scene, they just look like they're hanging on wires, like shooting stuff down at people. I'm like, where's the cool action scenes? Where are people flying? I agree. I mean, I, I think Magneto even has that line in X2. He's here like, when are these people going to learn how to fly? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Rude. Rune. But I do love, I mean, I love the animation of Gene and Cyclops walking out of the Blackbird. Yeah. So sweet. (laughs) Obviously, you know, Cable, I don't know if canonically Cable is Gene and Cyclops' son. I think Cable number one came out in 93. But obviously, I don't think it's, it's not even touched upon or alluded here at all. Like, it's just, this is more just a scene with them. There's no hint that they are related. Right. It was a that was a really good scene right up because I I didn't the idea of if Rogue had gotten rid of her powers, Jean would be dead. Didn't strike yeah. me really wow. at all, and that's in, an incredibly powerful moment. <laughs> but wow, I like I'm like watching it right now again, and I'm like, oh damn, it's, okay. It's part of probably what leads her to her realization, you know, that she's like, oh yeah. That's this is why I kept my powers. <laughs> yeah, well, that's I think why that's exactly I took away why she's crying. Yeah, right. But Jean, yeah, okay, yes, oh, because uh, the, the, I'm sorry. Yeah, the reverse of those emotions where she was jealous, but actually she was able to save Jean and put them together. Like, yeah, of <laughs> course, that's making her cry. It's a beautiful realization, but also like. Jean could pick herself up. Like, <laughs> yeah. Rogue not being there shouldn't have been an issue. You know what I mean? Like, if Rogue ha- had to somehow, like, absorb someone's powers just to save the day, then I'd be like, okay, yes. But here it's <laughs> like, Jean should have just lifted herself up. This should not even be an issue here. But, like, yes, for the story, I agree. It, okay, it, it's, it's that beautiful, beat. Paul. <laughs> but what if it was what if it was like some xavier style manipulation like what if Jean knew she could save herself but it's one of those like you know how the 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 people who live in gotham just assume they're going to or the people who live in metropolis just assume they're going to be saved by superman and if they're not everyone gets mad at them right like the tony stark <laughs> moment in the avengers movie where they're like oh, you, my son was crushed by a building. You didn't save him. Where were you then? Like, I feel like Gene was like, oh no, I'm falling. And I was like, oh shit. And Gene was like, oh, good thing you still have those powers, huh? (laughs) How dare you, Gene Gray? What the fuck is wrong with you? Well, it worked, didn't it? <laughs> Listen, oh I'm not, this is a little dark phoenix of her already, like manifesting here. When Jean's like, it was the phoenix force. Like, no, Jean, you're just coming for it. I, You know what? I do like that read so much more that she knew 
that was gonna happen. And we do see yeah. some weird moments like Xavier like using his powers and then Gene and Cyclops kind of like walk in. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so you don't know what's happening. God, <laughs> Kevin, you're right. That scene where she's crying, I'm just watching it. It's so well like, animated. Right. Like her, oh. her hair is like blowing in that. Ooh. Mm. Yeah, just little tears under and like, oh my goodness. <laughs> well, and speaking of watching Mystique shift back into Adler, that was pretty crazy animation too. Yeah, and she can change clothes too. She was yeah. skillful. She knew exactly when to be herself and when to be Adler. She's like, I know someone's coming to look at me, so I'm going to change back. Like, <laughs> Yep. <laughs> All right, back at the Splodied Lab, Adler talks to Rogue as she fixes the machine. Rogue has decided to keep her powers. She flies off and runs into Angel in his cool costume. Mystique changes back to Adler just as Angel returns. Adler is surprised to see Warren as a mutant. Warren says he wants the cure. Yeah, I mean, listen, this is sort of, they're adapting the X-Factor story where he's going to turn into Archangel. I... You know, I, I I love the line Rogue says, like, how can you, or I'm sorry, Warren says, like, how can you fly without wings? You you see what's motivating him as a character. And I love how Rogue's yeah. like, I don't know. I just do. <laughs> <laughs> and it flies off. And I really liked the scene. I thought it was a, it was a nice way to end the episode. I mean, it's not the formal ending, but to sort of leave the viewer wanting more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you touch on... Um... This is very different than the comics, but I think one of the things I appreciate about the MCU and about the X-Men cartoon is even though they're adapted stories, they still get the heart of the characters and the heart of the story. And I think that's what we want as fans. Yeah. And I think, you know, Warren's a bit different here because I think, I mean, he, he loses his wings you know, in the comics and he's devastated by it and he seeks out apocalypse and it, you know, in the next episode, it's going to homage that scene where he's on like, you know, he's getting transformed into Archangel, but he's desperate to have his wings back here. He's desperate to be human. It's really interesting. I mean, the parallels are, are very fascinating and wonderful. Am I next? Uh, Hammy's next. Okay. go. Me next. I just like making you read because I love watching you put on those glasses. I know. So cute. So So rude. Rude. All right, here we go. Meanwhile, Mystique is searching the shores of Muir Island for Apocalypse. She's excited to tell him she has a mutant for him to enslave. But, girl, he's Apocalypse. He already knows. He knows more of this world than you have even dreamed. And that is why he must destroy it. That's so metal. <laughs> I love this man. I love I this man. Too. There's a, a an X podcast that I listen to where they talk so much shit about apocalypse, and I couldn't disagree more. Like every line he says is so well written and just so, like you said, just so metal. It's just so goth, just so emo. It's just I love this man. It's Shakespearean. Like I know more of this world than you can dream. That is why I must destroy. I'm like, wow, 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 wow. It's so wow. my panties. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just want a man who'll talk to me that way, you know. Yeah. <laughs> 
yes, daddy, destroy this world. Yes, daddy. <laughs> daddy, I'm so stupid. I don't know enough about this world. Just destroy it for me and get me a new one. Get me a racco. <laughs> I want a racco. Terraform Mars for me. Oh my God. Oh, so that ends the cure. I figured since these episodes are basically like part one and two, we would go through all of our closing stuff at the end of uh, Come the Apocalypse. Okay. So are we choosing one for both or? Yeah. Okay. But uh, Kevin, do you want to take us through our expose for this part with apocalypse? Oh, it's apocalypse time. Okay. So, but his other name is Ensabanur, whatever. Ensabanur. Ensabanur. Yes. Um, (laughs) And he debuted in X Factor number five in June of 1986 as a cameo, but then had a full appearance in X-Factor number six, July, 1986. <laughs> uh, and he's got lots of powers, you know, superhuman strength, biomolecular alteration, genius level intellect, energy and matter manipulation, flight, immortality, invulnerability, telekinesis, teleportation, telepathy, technopathy, and ability to augment, manipulate, or steal the powers of other mutants and cosmic beings. Oh! There you go. <laughs> I think you missed one. What? What? Okay. <laughs> no, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I love how shady you are. <laughs> oh God. I can breathe. I can breathe. <laughs> well, you did miss the fact that he does have a helicopter, though, which I think it was in one of his earlier appearance. Just saying. Oh, the apocalypse. Get to the chopper. Yes, it is a chopper. <laughs> and and he, what does he say? I, I forgot what he said. He says something to the effect of like, "I'm going to bid you adieu now." <laughs> like leaves in that first Sounds appearance. <laughs> I was like. Mm. But yeah, I love that yeah. him and Thanos have helicopters. <laughs> and I remember uh, Louise Simonson, I believe, created him. And she said she was kind of just getting bored of Magneto. So she wanted to make another <laughs> like super powerful villain. And I think she nice. was very successful. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, she nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really hope when he comes to the MCU, he's going to have like Thanos level like threat. Because for everything... You just said, Kevin, he has powers that are just so above and beyond just what the X-Men deal with on a day-to-day basis. And I think this episode in particular does a really good way of sort of showing the mutant metaphor and how it relates to Apocalypse. But in the comics, he really is just a force of nature. He believes in evolution, Darwinism, survival of the fittest. Like, he doesn't care. He's going to fucking kill you. And, you know, we are obviously big fans of Apocalypse. So we're happy. We're happy with him here. (laughs) Yeah, we love this man. <laughs> Daddy, destroy the world for me. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Rain pours on Muir Island as Dr. Atler prepares Angel for the treatment. Ironically, Angel's funding is the very thing that got him into this mess. Angel freaks out as, as Atler turns into Mystique just before the transformation begins. Come the apocalypse to watch his new slave be born. I wrote down another apocalypse line. I'm going to dedicate this to Hammy. <laughs> I want to hear the cries of a future being born. I just love that line. He's he's the drama. Oh, is he the villain? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it me? <laughs> is it me? I love him. I love him so much. <clears throat> 
So that scene where he's like, they, they have the shot of Warren on like the, the bed and the back of his head and apocalypse there. That is completely a homage to him being turned into Archangel in X Factor, I think 18. I want to say 18. So I appreciate that callback. You would think that people would be privy to that this cure may not be a very good cure if this machine looks like a torture device of sorts. Like <laughs> I'm like, I don't want that. But there's so a lot of like the cure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it looks like LASIK in like the late '90s. Like it just looks like really terrifying. Like why would you do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I'm not here for it. I'm with you, Kevin. I would just like, I would like, just come out, come like, out. Like thanks, thanks. Like, can I change my mind? Thank you. Why does Angel not want to be a mutant? Is it simply just like he doesn't like wings? Like, is that it? Like, that's it. He's just like, I don't know. I think the wings are ugly, so. I want nothing. Yeah, yeah I think I, that's kind of all we get. Yeah. Yeah, in the context of this episode, I think it's definitely that. You know, I think it's because his mutation is more physical, where you have someone like Gene, where it's more of a passive mutation. And because his parents and he is, they're, they're sort of like a well-to-do, very public-facing. But I agree with you. It's I, I never understood it in the context of X3. I have a hard time understanding it now because, I mean, he looks like a literal angel i mean and he's such an a a beautiful man an adonis right there you know what i mean like you would think he would of all the people there would have a better time sort of grappling with his mutant identity he's already one of the cool kids like come on get over yourself (laughs) he should start a cult and then i I was just thinking that too that's who that's who his date was in in the previous episode Mutants are at the pub awaiting Adler to bring them to the cure. The professor sits with Rogue, Jean, and Scott. Warren comes running into the pub to say he's cured, or does he? Cyclops get, gets mad at Warren for being cured and confronts him. Xavier reminds Scott that the, the decision is up to everyone to decide for himself. Yeah, or is it? Because we just learned that Jean is like manipulating everybody, apparently. <laughs> I feel Stop like Gene the villain. <laughs> and I feel like a lot of people will use this scene as an excuse to call Scott a dick. <laughs> when I see it more of like he's not he's not disregarding a mutant's choice to choose, uh, you know, freedom to choose, but I think he's just defending a mutant's right to be a mutant. Uh, because I know his experience is probably one of privilege, and he wants to know, you know, he just wants people to know that there's nothing wrong with being yourself. Um, I don't think he would actively prevent someone from choosing the cure if he understood what it meant to them, you know, if they knew that would make them ultimately happy. But um, I think he's just like reacting instinctively at this point. It's not as dick move as people think it is. (laughs) Well, yeah, and I agree. I mean, like, he also has like, his mutant power is uncontrollable. He can't look at anyone, you know, in the face. You know, and in the comic books, we know that's more of a result of a mental hurdle and not so much a physical trauma. You know, in Krakoa, he can't still control his powers, even with being resurrected. But, you know, I it's interesting that he's the one who says it. But again, I think what Xavier says was really they haven't learned yet to be at ease with their powers. And that's where I'm like, Xavier, like, why don't you go up to them with like a a card and be like the Xavier Institute? (laughs) Thirty thousand dollars a year in tuition plus yeah. room and board, not including like meals at the cafeteria. 
<laughs> but, you know, I, lots of cameos in the scene, which is really great. You know, we, we, we have, you know, pestilence there, or excuse me, plague, um, war and famine. And those are really rich characters. They're directly from the comics. They're the original horsemen, but I'm glad to see them all there on Muir Island. And it's, it was a nice treat. Larry Houston just loved the comics so much and, and did this on purpose with like character models mm. and everything. Yeah. I love me some Larry. He made this cartoon what it is. Oh yeah. Shout out to Larry Houston. Yeah. <laughs> I love the pub scene. All the people. The so the pub where they're all in the pub, there's just so many characters. And I'm like, I don't know who that is. I don't know. Like there's like robot. There's a man who looks like a bat. There's. Yeah. I always wondered. I, I think they're just generic mutants. I think they're mutants one and two. I mean, I'm sure maybe they did appear somewhere and someone can slide into my DMs and correct me. But I also thought the, the one that looks more like a robot, I always thought that was Ahab, but I don't look at it oh. now. It doesn't look anything like Ahab at all i mean i mean it does but like the colors aren't there or kang it looks like a mix of ahab and kang yeah i just called the famine chick emaciated flower lady <laughs> oh, well, in the comic books the in the comic book she was suffering from an eating disorder oh yes. yeah and that's how she becomes famine oh the irony yeah. oh yeah Ooh. but i love that okay i was gonna say it is weird that there's all these like mutants who who look incredibly different whether they look yeah. like a bat or they look like a robot or their skin color or they, they've got a weird shaped face or whatever and then apocalypse was like i'll take the three white people please <laughs> <laughs> you're coming with me wow. that's it just the that's white ones point. thank you <laughs> no freaky bat people for me ew <laughs> Yeah, you would think if you need like horsemen, you would take the freaky bat guy. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's a prime. Maybe he didn't want to be cured though. Maybe he was just like, no. I love this. Like I can't imagine that everyone in this pub is like, yeah, cure me too. Why are they there? True. Were they all there? Like, did they all hear about Atler, and that's why they're here? But then no, that I would guess mean- not. But but I think they're all first of all okay wait first of all though like if someone just randomly I'm going to try to put in some kind of context here like if someone like two years ago would have randomly walked into a bar and been like I have a cure for COVID I and me yes I'll take it you know like who's going to believe that I mean like I get it from a plotting perspective like the story has to move on but like damn like this guy just randomly is just saying I'm cured and that's why I, that's in my head why. I, Cyclops' reaction is justified to me because he seems like he's just like a scammer trying to like, he's like, come to my side, you know? <laughs> totally. Agreed. Point. Big agree. <laughs> Am I Back next? Back at the lab, Apocalypse is impressed with how well Mystique is able to impersonate Warren. Will the real Warren please stand up? And he does. Only now he's Archangel. In a montage, we see Apocalypse transform his other three mutants to complete the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The four horsemen blast through the roof and go out into the world to wreak havoc. Oh. <laughs> so did he, like, use the machine on three horses as well? <laughs> That's where, like, Fox came in and, like, censored it. Like, you're like, nope, cannot show animals being hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Were the horses, like, mechanical? Yeah, maybe. I mean, 
I always thought they were mechanical, but these movements I'm seeing right now look pretty real. So <laughs> poor horses. <laughs> Maybe they were mutant horses. Maybe. <laughs> oh, someone oh. like the other mutants. Apocalypse is like we only have room for four horsemen. So like the rest of you get to be horses Sorry. now. That's horrible. That's terrible. That's terrible. Uh, oh. The only note I have written down from this scene is that when. <laughs> He turns into Archangel. The first thing he does is shoot his little feathers at Apocalypse's security system. For just blows up <laughs> Apocalypse's TV with his his blade feathers, and is like, "I'm Archangel." And I'm like, "You need that. You're literally spying. You're on this island to spy. You just, what? Why? Why would you?" It's fine. They've got money. I'm sure. Yeah, it's like, the only uh, thing in the room. How does he have like a security camera at this random pub on your island, like? Apocalypse has a budget this season, and I appreciate that. <laughs> this episode, though, with the four horsemen, like, left a mark on me since childhood. I am obsessed with the four horsemen. They came up in um, Good Omens, and, like, I got even more obsessed with them. Like, I love the idea of the horsemen. Wait. Remember them in Charmed? <laughs> no, were they? Yeah, yeah I do. <gasps> I, thought, I was like, eject, eject, eject. <laughs> Apocalypse not season two, episode 21. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> with pr- starring one Prudence Hollowell. Yes, yes. <laughs> Back at the manor, the X-Men play pool, and Gambit is there. Gambit offers up a bet. The winner of pool gets a kiss from the loser. Rogue obviously gets frustrated all over again. Jean uses her power to ruin Gambit's shot, and Storm makes fun of him. Storm turns on the broadcasts of the world leaders meeting in Paris. The conference is attacked by Apocalypse. The X-Men report the attack to Xavier. I have a line for you again, Hammy. So this is Apocalypse. God. You bleat for the future like a herd of sheep. (laughs) 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 Who says that? (laughs) God. Daddy says that. That's exactly. Seriously, this is, that genuinely is like big Dom energy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Although... Think of the thing Gambit's in here is like, you can drain my energy anytime. Gambit has plenty. Oh, <laughs> like, ew. That is literally where I have it paused. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, Gambit oh, has my. plenty. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. <laughs> oh, God, love that man. <laughs> the chemistry, though, that Lenore and Chris have, though, I mean, as voice actors, it's just, it's hot. So hot. Like sizzle, sizzle right <laughs> there. But I love when Gambit's like, and even Storm is making jokes now. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, who is this person? <laughs> I, but again, this is showing their dynamics as not only a team but also as a family. You know, mm-hmm. and I kind of like that. And like, yeah. you know, Storm is calling him and calling him out on the rec room, and it not being, you know verbatim a rack it's just really i love it it's really nice they're cute together mm-hmm. all of them all of them are cute um apocalypse has a really i mean listen like this scared me as a child he was terrifying when he's here like the weak and afraid shall be smashed i mean damn like everything <laughs> he says is a prophecy and i'm here for it at the scene the army does its best to fight off apocalypse to no avail Apocalypse six his horsemen upon the army. They are easily winning. The Eiffel Tower gets taken out. Whoa! It is revealed that Xavier and the X-Men are watching the broadcast. 
Xavier expresses that Apocalypse is an evil like none other they have ever faced. He decides they need to act now. Now. Okay, that woe was pathetic. I'm sorry, but I can't give you a better woe on that. That was great. Whoa. chills. (laughs) Apocalypse (laughs) now. Apocalypse now. Boom. Whoa. It's going to be Joey Lawrence. Joey Joey Lawrence all the way. God, think of the early. Joey Lawrence had an album in the early 90s that I was obsessed with. And he has a song called Just Another Love Song on the radio. And I'm obsessed with that. <laughs> Sorry, since we're saying, well, <laughs> Tammy, I called you Tammy. Tammy. <laughs> Tammy. Tammy's my mother's name. <laughs> okay, Tammy's your alternate ego, though. That's, yeah, that's my drag queen. It's in your spinster, your, your spinsta. Oh it's Tammy. God. Tammy 69. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah i mean listen i guess you know this this scene proves that xavier was in the know about apocalypse you know prior to think about that yeah so he 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 definitely knew apocalypse was around i wonder if in the previous episode when he sensed that force did he think it was apocalypse like what was sort of his idea there yeah, I wonder if that's like the prelude to him knowing about Apocalypse or if he knew before that. That's a good but point. He knows because he's here like a madman, completely driven insane. So that's a lot more context. Unless he read, you know, all of, he was able to like read his mind in that moment and sort of digest it. Yeah. Our Wikipedia. Our Wikipedia. <laughs> Who is that? It's me? Yeah. Scene six? Yep. The, Okay. It suddenly popped up at me. The Blackbird flies into action, leaving Xavier, Jubilee, and Rogue behind. Rogue whines about not getting to play with the other kids. Xavier tells her he wants her to return to Muir Island and look into Archangel. He recognizes him and thinks something is up. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious how famous is Warren Worthington in this. I guess the answer is, like, in the 90s, why would you know some random, like, billionaire, right? I mean, it's just the internet's not, it's not like he has an Instagram account or anything. But why didn't she just level with him? Why didn't he just level with her and was like, hey, I think this was that mutant Warren Worthington. Like, you need to go check that out. I guess he does on the iPad, but I'm just nitpicking the scene. It's funny. I think off the top of my head, I think it's cold comfort when Iceman comes back. Mm-hmm. They show a past scene of the first X-Men and <laughs> Warren was there. So I don't yeah. know why Professor X doesn't know who he is at this point. Oh, full of <laughs> secrets. Always full of secrets. <laughs> I'm sure Professor X just mind wiped everyone. At- I'm sure it was that bitch Gene. She's <laughs> <laughs> Right. It would have to be Gene, actually, because yeah. why would Xavier not know? Because Gene was like, I can't fucking stand this asshole. And like, mine wipes everyone. <laughs> are you, right. Sean, are you somehow implying that Gene Gray, Gene Elaine Gray is a big bad of the X-Men animated series? And how dare you invite me on your show to like imply this? Do you not see my shirt right here. It's like that theory that Jar Jar is like the Sith leader yes. in the prequels. Gene is the evil behind all of X-Men past. Oh my goodness. 
she's like really fainting, but it's kind of like <laughs> Agatha all along, like she's fainting, and then it just zooms into her, causing like mischief and stuff yes. like that. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> no, to be fair, Paul, I am a Jean fan. I'm just, I'm just having too much fun messing with you. And to be fair, Hammy started it. Or Tammy, I think it was Tammy. Okay, can you please yeah, stop, pull, stop pulling a Hammy here right now? Oh, <laughs> Sorry. Oh my god. Oh my god. I just want to, Kevin. The fact that you say Jubilee in Storm's accent every time you say her name is wild. It's fantastic. It's great. I love all of Kevin's like, like the way you pronounce like mana. Like it's so consistent <laughs> off of your. It's so great, and that's a callback to SJP, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In in Hocus Pocus, you guys are so clever. I'm obsessed with you guys. You're so sweet. <laughs> I blush. Yep. I, blush. I can't tell with the zoom, but like I'll take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Archangel silently soars over the countryside. Apocalypse comes up from his hiding place under Stonehenge. He's tired of each generation crying out for a better world, but all the same issues coming up. He wants to start over. In another montage, we see the horsemen causing chaos wherever they fly. So I kind of talked about this on the show earlier, like the fact that I love and hate the fact that the show is still relevant because we're still going through all the same issues the show talks about all the way back in the 90s. Like the fact that we're going through these abortion laws, we're going through all this stuff that just recycles from the past. I'm almost like, yes, apocalypse, destroy it all, start over. Yeah, I mean, like a lot of these issues we're facing today, I mean, have been conversations of the past. It's so frustrating that as a society, we're still dwelling on things like this. You know what I mean? Like we can't evolve the conversation and it's sort of embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. A never ending cycle. Never ending cycle. But can I just say the scene where famine like drains the life out of yes. those two guys? Traumatizing. I was yes. traumatized as a child, I was traumatized. As an adult, I was traumatized. I was watching this on the plane from New York and I like saw that scene happen. And I was like, what? Oh, no, That's no. Not okay. <laughs> That's not okay that this just happened. It was really like visceral watching their, like them essentially scream for help whilst like they were like, please, we're so hungry while their faces. And they <laughs> zoom in on like the, the directorial choice of zooming in <laughs> on their faces and then their mouth. Cause I guess hunger, you know, oh my God, it was, it was atrocious. It, it traumatized me as a child. I was not okay watching that. Well, and we never really see what happened to them. Like, I know there's a rule in cartoons for a while where you have to show that everybody's okay, but we don't know if they got reversed when Apocalypse was stopped or what happened. No, I'm pretty sure they died off screen right then and there. <laughs> they go. fell off their horses. <laughs> That's it. They were dead. There was no mistaking that. I'm sorry, Sean. They're dead. They're dead. Oh, but- there's no follow-up because they're dead. Speaking of that, in the, the scene earlier, when uh, they blow a hole in the bridge and then the tank, a tank rolls through it, and then it just cuts in like the two men are like holding on. They're like, listen, they didn't die. The tank <laughs> fell off and exploded, but the, the soldiers are still holding on. And then immediately after they show a clip of a helicopter crashing into the 
Eiffel Tower. And now you're just like, <laughs> well, everyone there is dead for sure. <laughs> for sure. They just blew up. Um, but it's fine. Yeah. Well, okay. They parachuted out. <laughs> they parachuted, <laughs> parachuted out. <laughs> Off screen. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but the helicopter. The, the animation of Angel flying through the air to destroy the dam. I'm just like so hot. I'm like, hi. He is. <laughs> is I was going to say, is it one of the shots where they give them like a very <laughs> predominant ass crack? <laughs> I Yes. It, it, just in hang on, I'm trying to get back to it here, but it's just like the way his body's animated. I think Archangel in this series is so hot, like so incredibly hot. Yeah. Maybe without right. the wings. <laughs> I, want, <laughs> I want those metal wings. Oh I want to see like, neurotoxin wings like the feathers that like poison you oh my god you can do you you can be on a trip (laughs) you can be going down the rabbit hole while fucking warren (laughs) (laughs) drugs and sex i'm here for it (laughs) sorry oh my god (laughs) i'm like hammy come on let's surprise kevin you're like off the rails off the rails (laughs) sorry I like when his wings, you know, when the poppers come out. Uh, that's my favorite <laughs> part about Angel. Oh, do you like poppers? <laughs> no, get out of here. Stop asking me questions. Delete. That's so personal. <laughs> Delete. Sorry. Yeah, I agree, though. Well, well I, I'm curious, where do they come from? Yeah. I just always picture them like the toy, where you just oh, flick them out yeah. of the top a little bit. I mean, okay. That works. I don't think that's right. Anyway. <laughs> Like the animation, I'm just like, I'm just sitting pausing everything. Like the cracks on the dam and everything. I mean, it's gorgeous. I mean, it's absolutely stunning. Great job on the animation. Beautiful. Rogue returns to Muir Island in search of Dr. Adler. She finds him. She locks Adler in the experiment chair and threatens to start it. Adler turns into Mystique and fesses up. The machine doesn't cure mutants, but it turns them into hate-filled slaves. Mystique tells Rogue about the secret compartment under Stonehenge. Rogue threatens to tattle on Mystique to Apocalypse, but Mystique shoots her instead and disappears through an escape door. Rogue flies out just in time as the facility explodes. Oh, beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Just a little nod to Paul's heritage there. Ay, que pena. Dios mío. Dios mío. The one thing I don't like about the scene, and it's not a fair thing not to like it, is that there doesn't seem to be any hint to the Mystique and Rogue relationship. And we did get that in the last episode and we will see it play out again when rogue asks at in the season finale why did you want to try to turn me into a slave like you did on Muir island and mystique's like i thought it was the only way to get you back here mystique literally pulls out her gun and it's like how are you how's apocalypse gonna know because i'm gonna kill you like <laughs> that's the only thing here that the motives seem off but i mean from just a standalone perspective like the i think the scene works very well yeah it's like they hadn't decided if they were gonna do the whole family thing yet or not yeah and they probably didn't even know they were gonna come back you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. they they were literally stitching together this entire season 
not knowing what to do next and everything. So you can give a password. I think any inconsistencies like that are just in this first season two through the, the series finale. I mean, they really are very cognizant of everything on screen. And I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. I would say it's not like completely out of Mystique's character that she would shoot rogue though, if it's just to save herself. So I kind of gave it a pass for that too. I mean, listen, she has shapeshifted into a student and fucked her boyfriend. Like, right. just Mystique, split them up. <laughs> she threw baby Kurt off a cliff. Like, <laughs> Mystique is not getting any Mother's Day cards. Like, no one is going to say she... Yes, this checks for her character. We're absolutely <laughs> correct. that <laughs> She will yep. fucking kill Rogue to uh, save her own skin. Elsewhere, the horsemen are attacking when the Blackbird makes its appearance. The X-Men go into action and face the horsemen. Gambit takes his hat off to Wolverine and saves him. Pretty badass. <laughs> that was, he like took a top hat and like splurged it, it to yeah. save, yeah, to save Wolverine. Okay, I have watched this episode countless times since I was a kid. I could not tell you that that's what Gambit did. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, it was like, <laughs> this is the like, first time I'm noticing this detail. Yeah, the hat just like glowing as it flies over, like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love I the clock that either. Oh, I love the, I, okay. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm a little distracted because I am looking for that scene because <laughs> I still can't. Oh, I see it here. Here we are. Um, I love the scene of them all running out of the blackbird. I think that is absolutely, I, I, I think that, that, that just amps up the adrenaline for this episode. Yeah, and in the first part, in The Cure, Paul, you talked about, like, them being a family. And I think this really strengthens the scene because we see them kind of bickering. But when it comes to, like, defending each other, they've got each other's backs and they're pretty hardcore at it. So this is this is a good scene. So well, good. When you said that, though, I was just looking at the scene where he threw, throws the top hat and Wolverine sort of flips back. Gambit literally touches him in the back and it's like yeah i have your back in in the previous episode which is part one they were bickering i mean that was the entire point of that scene of them fighting so yeah i like how that sort of subplot or that thread gets sort of tied up here mm -hmm. rogue arrives at stonehenge to face apocalypse alone he proves too much for her as his power is unlimited archangel and the horsemen enter and let apocalypse know the x-men were too powerful for them Enter the X-Men and more fighting. As Archangel is about to act, Rogue pounces and absorbs his hate. Oh, and she does this whole Rogue bird scream again. <laughs> I had somebody message me today that said they died when you did the Rogue scream. <laughs> I'm sorry, can we hear the Rogue scream for those of us who did not listen to the last episode? <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. I, I did not hear that. <laughs> Look at Tammy right there covering her ears. <laughs> it's, it's loud. <laughs> it was like so that. loud it didn't pick up on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Um, <laughs> she does that crazy bird scream and I laugh. Um, <laughs> I always love like that touch of pestilence. That too, that makes me laugh. Um, <laughs> Oh, I used to quote that all the time. I was like, I nothing love her. can save you from the touch of pestilence. She's like a little witch, like a little swamp witch or something. Which, yeah. in the comic book, she's actually plague, not pestilence. And 
Oh, no, I, I got her really quickly confused. Famine gives birth to Holocaust in 616, even though he's from the Age of Apocalypse. His counterpart is born from there. And Pestilence is Plague in the comics. Mm-hmm. And Plague Nerd. was present for the... <laughs> Nerd. Nerd. <laughs> Not. Nerd. Guys, you're supposed to be my people here. I can geek out about this kind of stuff. <laughs> I have two more lines here. Oops. <laughs> Archangel changes heart and attacks the horseman. We get a really cool action shot of the X-Men. Yeah, we do. We are here to save the day. X-Men, X-Men, that one. Yeah, so it's great. Saves the day. Saves the day. X-Men, X-Men. Coming yeah, your way. Song. <laughs> Yay. I love that you guys covered that, by the way. Well, thank Yay. you. <laughs> Thanks. All, right, All the action scene. in this scene is incredible. The, this, yeah. this scene is like, you know, in a comic book where they're just like, let's just give them five pages of fighting with no dialogue. Like this is the cartoon version of that. And it's just all so good. I know and- when I was writing these, the first, the cure was like 19 scenes. This one was 11, just because there are so many like extended fight scenes in this part. Well, and I love, there are two things in the animation I want to know. Like when they show the moon and Rogue is flying forward and like, like comes and lands. Like, I think that looks great. And Apocalypse coming out of the shadow. I I know that they wanted him to be a bit more scary. They do that for Sinister as well, coming out of the shadows. For Sinister, it's more of a practical thing because they yeah. can illustrate everything on him. But for here, I think it does have that very scary effect. And it will be used again as stock footage for Apocalypse when they don't nice. got a budget for the season. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Archangel approaches Rogue and comforts her. Apocalypse raises up in ship and makes his getaway. Rogue consoles Archangel and says it's easy to fall into Apocalypse's lies. Archangel takes off. Such a sweet moment. Um, but I, just to go back a little bit, because I'm just looking at the episode as we're talking, we do get that famous rogue ass shot after Apocalypse yes. like attacks her, <laughs> which is a never ending meme on the internet. <laughs> we also Such a get, good ass, though. I mean, we get a similar one with Scott. You know how there's that one of Cyclops where he's like kind of. Oh, yes. In a very sexy. There's an incredibly similar shot here. And I thought it was that one. So I like took a screenshot and I was like, oh, no, everyone just falls down really sexy in this show. I guess <laughs> I did notice that again. I'm like, this does look a lot like it. But yeah, right? it's crazy. Also, there's one scene during the fight where I, I can't find it now, obviously. Um, Scott shoots a laser beam and, and Gene falls down. Yeah. What was it? Looked like he shot, shot her with the laser beam, right? Yeah, I was I was confused by that a little bit. <laughs> I, I'm gonna find this. You guys talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> um, Sean, here's something I want to throw by you. You can decide if you want to count it or not. Cyclops says, "Get clear." Oh, we're gonna count it. Okay. Yeah, because he's about to shoot. And he says, "Get clear." <laughs> okay. Yeah, we'll take that one. Okay. Take it, take it, shake it. Yeah, we're going to take it. <laughs> All right. So for our wrap-up, we do a few things. We talk about, um, was this episode extreme or would you exit out? Oh, that's I think, very clever. I think extreme. I'm 100% extreme. I love these episodes. I love, 
I, the, this was my first exposure. I do happen to think that they are very well written and they're deeply humanizing stories. So I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm not leaving. I'm not exiting out here. <laughs> I will go with extreme. I think that they together, especially make up like one really, really good episode. That is a nice mix of story and a nice mix of action. I feel like as a kid, these episodes meant nothing to me because they were a bit more adult, but I feel like the action would have drawn me back in. So yeah, I say extreme. I feel like these aren't skippable at all either. They're not. And, and they come into play later on in Days of Future Past 1 and 2, which part one is written by Julia Lewald. And it's the, the themes are very, they, 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 they come by, oh, well, they transplant into those episodes as well. So I'm 100%. I think these are important. I think they're, they're good episodes. And I think a lot of credit needs to go to Lenore Zan for such a wonderful performance. How about yeah. you, Kevin? extreme always of course <laughs> sorry that was extreme <laughs> <That's> <laughs> extreme, <a little> extreme. <laughs> someone's been playing their x-men legends oh yeah. i do need to get back to that yes <laughs> yeah we get the proper introduction of mystique where she's not just like a random slave we get the introduction of apocalypse we get so many things that are started from these episodes and archangel I love these episodes and obsession with Archangel. It, it just left so many marks on me as a kid. And even today. I'm forgetting the name of the episode where they follow up on the apocalypse and Archangel, you know, when they, when they go to ship and beast is there, it's such a wonderful follow-up. So again, this, this episodes, these episodes are important to the canon of the, of the show. And these narratives are revisited. I, I think Archangel in the series, they did such a great job of streamlining streamlining him. I know we were kind of, I was kind of complaining about, you know, where's uh, where, where is he grappling with his identity here? But I think they do it, they do it, they show it, and I'm, I'm glad they committed for it. So, so we do most excellent players. So who do you think like was the best in the episodes? I have okay. my answer. I will. I, I know, I know I, your answer too. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I, I'll go with something a little more subtle that I, I think Cable for me, especially in, in The Cure, I think all of his lines are killer. He's voice acted so well. He's so mysterious. You don't know what's happening with him. Uh, yeah, I think the fact that he's not in the second episode is a travesty, but uh, I would say he's, he's, he's the MVX, was it? MXP. MXP, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think I'll stick with that one because I know other people will probably say the real ones. So I'm going cable. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dare to be different. Exactly. <laughs> Who's yours, Paul? Well, I think it was pretty obvious. She was <laughs> at the center of the story. Her voice actress delivered everything perfectly. It is Miss Jean Elaine Gray. She was <laughs> literally the master <laughs> of these two episodes. <laughs> Emotionally manipulating Rogue. <laughs> like fucking going after Logan. Like, I like to do things with my mind. You know, sending him like erotic images. <laughs> like, it was Gene all the way. Gene, just bruised 
thanks to you. <laughs> yeah. No, I I think Rogue. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. Rogue. I, I think these are her stories. I think Rogue and Archangel. I'm going to give it to Rogue because she is the star of the series. And I just think, I, I, I think the world of Lenore Zan, I think Lenore Zan did such a wonderful, wonderful job. Yeah, I gave it to Rogue too, because you're right. It's very much the Rogue Archangel story, but Archangel's the one who fucked everything up. Rogue's the one who had to go and fix it. So that's why she gets it. Okay. I mean, Rogue was, because I, I actually made one for each of the episodes. So Rogue was my num- one for The Cure. But then when we got to Apocalypse, I chose Cyclops. <laughs> Big surprise, I know. But he was confident. He was determined. He was not... He was not going to surrender the fight. He was being the leader. He was standing up for mutant kind. Like he was getting everybody together. And then everybody, you know, had his fervor. They all were like, yes, we're in this. And, you know, I think it, it made sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I also okay. think Rogue, and I just want to say it now if everyone else is too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be left out. But I think okay. Cable, I mean, because Lawrence Bain has such a distinct voice and his performance as Cable, I mean, that to me is a definitive. Like, from as much as Lenore Zan is rogue in my head, Lawrence Bain is Cable, and every minute he has on screen just counts. So I, I definitely understand why he would be a MXVP. MXP. No, uh, Paul, come on, MXP. <laughs> MXP. Most, most excellent player. Oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't paying attention when you said that. Classic. <laughs> I listen. I just discovered that Gambit throws a hat, like a top hat. See, after cool. all these years, you're learning something new. Isn't that I, crazy? And the theme, and I think it was you, Sean, who said it. That like they start bickering, but then they come together as a family. That's something from the first part of the episode that I never sort of saw like the entire thread here. So, mm, mm. yeah, that's excellent that. writing. Oh, is that excellent writing? Excellent. <laughs> excellent. Yeah. No, I mean, I really learned something being on the show. Not bad for two bitches with no talent. Wow. <laughs> Don't say that about Hammy. <laughs> I'm sorry. Her name is Tammy. <laughs> Tammy69 is going to be like blowing up my DMs Tammy now. 69. <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> It's over for you bitches. <laughs> gonna wreak havoc. She's gonna bring the apocalypse. Yeah. That's her drag Very performance, heavy. apocalypse now. <laughs> okay, so now we have X Factor, and that is when you pick your most favorite moment from the episodes and why it represents the X-Men brand. Oh Jesus pr- no pressure. <laughs> oh God, fuck you. Like, <laughs> this is like essay time. <laughs> yeah, you guys came to play. I can like close okay. out of the episode, start playing with my toys. For me, in my opinion, X-Men Apocalypse, the movie, is an abomination. Especially, I'll tell a quick story. I scared the shit out of my boyfriend because when Archangel is trying to stop the Blackbird from crashing, I knew what was going to happen. And I turned him and I grabbed his shirt and I said, if they fucking do it, I think they're going to fucking do it. I'm so fucking pissed because I knew Archangel (laughs) was going to die in a plane crash and it made me so mad. So like when I see this episode and the way they treated Apocalypse and Archangel, it totally represents the comics. It's such an X-Men idea of like struggling with, do we want these powers or not? I just think... This episode was written so well by Mr. Edens, and it totally comes through. That was very lovely <laughs> and well, accurate. Said, go ahead, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, Kevin, follow that. <laughs> oh, well, it's not going to be that fancy, but I'm just going to say 
that epic battle with all the action scenes and they're fighting the horsemen. I mean, that's like pure X-Men. That is X-Men, you know, the team and the the battles and, you know, it's just great. And I love that. And I talked about it with my MXP stuff, but I think that's my favorite moment. And I think, you know, it's self-explanatory. It speaks for itself. I agree. I think it was a really great scene. Right. And Paul, you're next. I think my, so I have two. So I did, I'm, I'm going to pull like for two episodes for the cure. I think it's when Rogue goes up to Mystique slash Adler and she says, I don't want to live my entire life not knowing what it's like to touch another human being. I think it's just smart writing. I think it gets into the weeds of Rogue as a character. It invokes a lot of pathos and you really do understand why she would do something like that. And Rogue's inability to touch someone physically is a hallmark of the character and, you know, I think at the end of the series, in the series finale, Xavier is like, you can't touch anyone, but you've touched us all with who you are. So I really love that. And I think Rogue sort of gets the lesson. I think that is a takeaway for a kid. For Come the Apocalypse, I'm going to say I really love the scene where all the Morlocks, or excuse me, the horsemen are being transformed and, and Apocalypse is giving that uh, narration. Because I think, one, it shows how menacing and evil Apocalypse is. I think in true X-Men fashion, you see these mutants who are desperate for a cure, but it's actually something more nefarious, and they become evil. And it's just such juicy drama. It's great storytelling. But I also think in the context of the episode, it's just a really well-done, executed scene. So I I hope that was the point of this segment, and I got it. Yeah, you got it. You nailed it. Sometimes I just like to hear myself talk. <laughs> That's why you're a podcaster. <laughs> I I feel like I'm going to kind of steal Paul's, not his moment, but what he was talking about in the first episode where they're all just slowly rebuilding the house and they're all just sort of bickering and, and there's a lot of camaraderie, but sort of... I don't know, infighting, I feel like that to me is the most comic-y moment of the whole thing where it just sort of doesn't have to be this big explosion. It doesn't have to be this big fight scene. Mm -hmm. It it can be all of these characters using their powers like they would in the comic, but in kind of a familiar, not as familiar like we are familiar, but a a family, familiar way. Um, I love that you said familiar. (laughs) Welcome to Power of (laughs) X-Men. And I just, I just think it was nice, especially um, Sean, what you said later, like connecting it to the the next episode. I think it's, Mm -hmm. that's a really powerful moment. And I think those two combined are pretty incredible. I mean, that moment is such a good one, too, because, again, they are a dysfunctional family. That is who the X-Men are. <laughs> and they can be petty. They can be awful to each other. There could be some flirtation. It is a great scene. It, it truly is a wonderful scene. Magical. Magical. <laughs> cool. So look for uh, the new Spotify question next week so we can talk about it on uh previously on i forgot what i was saying <laughs> and we'll also be talking about days of fuchsia past part one and two days of week. fuchsia past yes days of fuchsia should i tell them the magneto joke <laughs> uh, obviously why did magneto stop wearing the uh purple and red outfit idk because days, days of, of fuchsia, fuchsia past, past. <laughs> oh <laughs> 
Oh no, Hammy's gonna get me again with the dad jokes. <laughs> no, 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 no. Wow, no. and it was right there. It's like you guys literally said it. So well, like, we, no, we say it. it like every other episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God bless we you. appreciate so much you both coming on to this episode. This was so fun to talk about. It was great. <laughs> no, thank you. Well, don't I can't say thank you for having me. I was forced upon you against <laughs> your will. <laughs> You had no but choice. what a person to be forced upon me. I know. His I'm, beauty is. I'm, I'm so glad. a breakout glad room, guys. Jesus. <laughs> God, take it to a breakout room. No, this was, thank you guys for not hanging up on me. That was really nice of you. You guys have such an infectious energy. I mean, it was transparent in the Charn podcast you guys did, and it's very transparent now. So thank you for, for I know I called these episodes, so thank you for having me. Yeah. And where should people find both of you if they don't already know? You can find me at Power of X-Men on Instagram. We have an interview today with X-Men 92 writer Steve Fox. And he sort of breaks down everything that's been happening in the series so far and gives us some really good behind-the-scenes tidbits, like who was supposed to be the Moira character in there originally. If you guys are keeping up with that, they're doing parallels to Hawksbox. And ah, uh, I want to announce something, but I can't announce it just yet. But it's it's really, it's good. I'll tell you guys offline, but look out for some really great events happening in the future. Cool. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I have well, some incredible things that I can't tell anyone about because they're very cool. <laughs> well, you're going to be on Power of X Men again too in the future. Yeah, you can find me uh, at Power of X Men. <laughs> uh, no, I'm. I'm. You can find my personal Instagram at Hammy seventy three. Um, I also have a cosplay Instagram Michael dot Ham dot cosplay. I have a Twitter, which I don't necessarily recommend. That's only hams73. And uh, that's pretty much it. I have a Patreon page if you want to waste your money, but uh, you can find that somewhere else. I won't, I won't post it here. You work so hard on that Patreon page. No one is wasting their money. You, work, you give so much TLC to that. Girl, it's all I do all day, every day. <laughs> it's really admirable. Like when I think of people utilizing certain platforms, like you are emblematic of someone who's using that platform correctly and cares very much on what you put out there. More than anything. Oh, I also have some cons coming up. I'm hoping to make it to Dragon Con in Atlanta. Uh, I might be there. I'm going to try to go there too. So we'll see. It's the hotel. I was there in 2019. You're going to find me at Selfie for X here uh or at my other podcast words of the witches or at my other podcast hanging with the hallowells <laughs> or at my personal one kgz87 <laughs> you can find me at this one hanging with the hallowells are once upon a cult which we just uh had a season finale for with an interview with a cult member so that was exciting mm. thank you for listening sexy xies we'll see you next week <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That is incredible. Feeling that sexy accent. <laughs> Plagiarism right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>